Anthony for three. Bang! Curry way downtown. Bang! Seconds. Bryant for the win. Bang! trying to get open. Fires away. Bang! It's over! Doncic pulls up. Three-pointer. Bang! Bang! It's good! Doncic wins the game at the buzzer! Welcome to the Knockdown J Podcast, where we talk about everything in the NBA. I am your host, Jalen Dixon, and today, man, we are going to get into something extra special. You know we got to talk about NBA awards, and I know what you're saying when you're listening to this. It's late August, early September, and we're already talking about awards in the NBA. Yes. Yes, we are. We're going to make some way too early predictions of who we think are going to win awards. I'm using three of the main NBA awards. And I also came up with three or four of my own other awards that I'm going to be handing out as a uh, as a prize as the part of the way too early episode. But it would be kind of boring if I just kind of shared my list by myself and didn't really get any other feedback besides you guys in the comment section. Kind of talk it through a little bit. So as one half of the Baller Island podcast. My friend Jason Hoto is Jason Hoto is on the podcast. Jay, how are you doing today, man? Doing good, brother. Good to be back. Been a while since we've been able to catch up, so it should be good. Yeah, man. This is the homie. This this guy right here knows his basketball and stuff. He's going to talk about his podcast towards the back end, but today we're going to have a little bit of fun with these awards, like I said beforehand. So the main three that I did keep for this list are Rookie of the Year, Defensive Player of the Year and MVP. You know we got to get to the MVP, but we're we're gonna work our way there. We're gonna start with the Rookie of the Year, and the way that I set up this award show in terms of the way too early predictions is obviously we know some of the names that are thrown out there, but I also wanted to use some of the betting odds stuff to give us kind of a good take from Vegas on how they feel about the standings for these awards as of right now. So for the rookie of the year specifically, Paulo Bencaro for the Orlando Magic, aka the number one overall pick from this past draft class, leads the way at plus 280. Right behind him is Chet Holmgren for the Oklahoma City Thunder at plus 375. Keegan Murray for the Sacramento Kings is at plus 600. Jabari Smith, the third pick, is at plus 650. Jay Ivey at 750 so on and so forth. That's per Vegas Insider. The link for all of these will be in the description below. But with that being the case, Jay, tell me, who do you have as your way too early winner for the Rookie of the Year? This is a tough one. Like, I I came up with three, right? Okay. One and then two two honorable mentions. So I'm going to start with one, which is the obvious one, like you started at the top. And that's Paulo Bancaro. Mm -hmm. Dude was taking number one, I think, definitely through. B and I both off when we were doing the draft. We had no idea whether it was going to be Chet, Jabari, or Paulo. One of those three was going to end up being number one. But I, I was just really impressed with Paulo throughout the season. I know at the beginning of the season, we knew the expectations for him. We knew what he was going to do. But he, we talked about it, especially as it got closer into March, where like he didn't really have that game. He didn't really have that moment where Paulo's going to take over. I was lucky enough to be in San Francisco during the Sweet 16 to watch Paulo in person. That was a treat and a half, seeing this dude, the size that he has, his ability. You can see he's wired different. I even said it on one of our episodes near the draft season. I'm like, I've never heard – Coach K has coached so many outstanding players. I've never seen him the way that he talked about Paulo 
I haven't seen him talk about a player like that in a long time. So you could tell he's wired differently. And I think it goes to show you why Orlando ended up choosing him over some of the others because Jabari Smith and Chad Holmgren, as we may talk about throughout this episode and going into the season, they kind of fit the mold in this day's NBA, right? Mm-hmm. The bigger guys, they can shoot, they can do so many different things. A lot of people call Chet a so-on-so call for a unicorn. <laughs> but Paulo Bancaro, you can tell this dude's just wired differently. I'm excited to see what he does with Orlando. And I'm going to get into Orlando a little bit more later on because I really like a lot of the talent they got on there. But I'd say he's my top pick for, for rookie of the year just for the stuff that he can do. He's on a great team with a lot of talent. Mm. My dark horse pick is actually not even one of the names you mentioned. Okay. Just based off of how I felt with him in the season, and I think that he might have a chance to pop off. Mm. Benedict Mather. Oh, okay. We're going to talk about that then. Okay. Yeah, because this dude, he, like Arizona, I think we all knew like they were great. They were a great team, the great mm. school, but I don't think any of us really – expected them to take off like they did that season. And if you watch Benedict Matherin, dude is explosive. Like he does so many different things for you and he has that I can't, I can't even describe it. Like he has that you need someone to kind of do something to kind of change the pace and change the game around. Mm-hmm. Matherin's kind of your guy for that. And Indiana's such a weird question mark of a team. Like they have a bunch of random players who don't really know what the direction they're going in. So mm-hmm. I kind of just throw that name out there just to, you know, people can kind of get that name in there and just see what he does this year. Yeah, so Ben actually came right after Jay Ivey at plus 1,100. I think that's a really interesting pick. And I think if you're like, if you're very uh, risque on the betting tip, I actually think that Benedict Matherin is a pretty decent guy to go after if you want to go out, go for somebody outside of that top five. Mainly because when you talk about what Ben is going into, right, with the Indiana, you mentioned it a second ago, they're kind of, in a weird log jam in terms of deciding who they actually want as a long-term core, right? You look at the fact that Miles Turner still in trade talks. To this day, it feels like it's been like three, four years, and this man's always getting floated out in conversations. But then you see, you know, the Buddy Heald, uh, a Buddy Heald name keep popping up in terms of the Lakers, uh, Lakers trades. Same thing with Miles Turner, but here, neither here nor there. They have guys who are continuously on the trade block. You look at the fact that they picked up Chris Duarte a season ago. Obviously, having Tyrese Halliburton at the one, I feel as though they are more than confident that that portion of their roster is solidified. The point guard position, I think they know what they want to do with that moving forward. And from that point forward, it's about building around Tyrese. I think that the the big question in camp is going to be Ben versus Chris or or. Are they going to flirt with the idea of the three-guard lineup slash putting a guy with the kind of physical stature and the physical capability, like you said, the pop-off ability that Benedict Mathen has? Could he be a guy they slide at the three and hope that his athleticism makes up for maybe his lack of size for that position? Nonetheless, I think that he's going to be really interesting because I think he's going to compete. He showed out in summer league. You could argue he was one of the best players out there in summer league. And I think that he showed us some stuff at Arizona coming out of a pro style offense that that's going to be very translatable early to the point that I think Rick Carlisle is going to want to see what Ben can do early and make the most out of that. Um, I'm with you in terms of the lead guy for the rookie of the year, Paulo Bancaro. I think the main thing with him, and I think you made a really great point about the other two guys in Chet and Jabari, that they're probably, when you look at the overall you know, I, I like to phrase it as like my player, create a player creation, right? You look at these two guys, six foot 10 above, can shoot the ball, 
jump out on defense, move out on the perimeter, things like that. These are all things that are translatable, and it's kind of the new wave, so to speak, in the NBA of something that's going to be something that takes over the league. Uh, um, being a two-way player with a tremendous size is one of the, like you said, unicorn-type styles in the NBA now. But I think the the funny part about it is I actually think Paulo fits exactly what the Magic needed, though. Because if you look at what the Magic have from a makeup standpoint, Franz Wagner showed really good signs last season on the offensive end, while also being a pretty much uh, a pretty solid plus defender. I think the the point guard position they have a little bit of a log jam because obviously Cole Anthony, R.J. Hampton, Jalen Suggs. Uh, Markel Fultz. They got a lot of guys in that backcourt that they got to figure out what's up with them. But you look at the front court, you can say there's a, there's a, a battle there too, right? Window Carter, uh, Jonathan Isaac, who I'm a, I'm a super Jonathan Isaac stand, but my man's is going to have to prove me right eventually. Cause for like the last two seasons, I've been banging the drum saying if he's healthy, he's DP, DPOI level, but he hasn't been healthy. So that makes it hard for the magic to identify what's up with him either. Um, they brought back Mo Bamba, which was kind of weird, but he he played. He had one of his better seasons last year. Chuma Okeke is still on this team. They have a lot of guys who are good fit pieces, but you notice the one thing that they're missing is a go-to scorer. I think people want to assume because Cole Anthony put up shots in high volume that he's supposed to be their go-to scoring option. I don't think that's the case. I think from the wing spot, they need a guy who they can be able to lean on and be able to run an offense through. And I think that Paulo Bancaro, out of the three guys at the top, actually has the best capability of being a number one option on the offensive end out the gate. I think Chet and uh, Jabari are two guys who, in their rookie seasons, are going to have more impact on the defensive end as opposed to the offensive end. So rather than kind of skipping over Chet and Jabari, let's talk about them in this sense. What do you think, from your perspective, Chet Holmgren brings to the table specifically for this Thunder team that could be that could truly show his overall skill set and keep him or really propel him um, above a guy like Paolo in the Rookie of the Year race? I think you kind of set it up perfectly in the sense that, especially for Chet in particular, I'd say Jabari showed more of his offensive capabilities this past season at Auburn than I'd say Mm. Chet did. But defensively, Chet's just a monster. Like, dude just needs to stand there in the paint, put his hands up, and it's like, good luck. (laughs) Right? Like, and you said, you saw that in the summer league too, right? Like, dude was just dominant in the paint. So when you look at his size, defensively and when he's able to be physical that's my only thing with Chet I think that's probably my only thing obviously as you know as a Zags fan too I mm-hmm. wish Chet was more aggressive a little more mm-hmm. aggressive in there I think he got into foul trouble too often that was my only downside to him other than that you can go on all day about the athletic potential that he has right then there's the offensive potential like if you're talking about what can he bring to the table if he's able to open up his game offensively more drive to the basket more the dude can shoot the three, which, like I said a few minutes ago, fits exactly where the NBA is going talent-wise, where you got big guys doing everything rather than just being a big dude in the paint. Chet has that ability to do that, and so does so does Jabari Smith. But for Chet in particular, I'd say defensively 100%, that's mm-hmm. what he's going to bring. Like, you're going to get a big body in the paint that's going to be physical and will meet you in the paint and will get a lot of blocks for you. And he'll get some boards for you too, that's for sure. But if he's able to get some of those boards and be physical on the offensive side too, that's where Chet's really going to shine. And if he gets that three-point going too, 
now now we're talking number two overall pick, Chad Holmgren. Right. So I think that's when you look at it. And OKC's young, very young. Hmm. So Chet will be able to grow with some of those other younger guys too. Yeah, and I think one of the great things that you mentioned was about his almost like underutilization with Gonzaga. And the funny part about that is I actually think in a way that made him much better of a draft pick because it showed his like glue guy ability, right? I think for a number two overall pick, you obviously want him to have like transcendental level like offensive ability along with some kind of strong capability on the defensive end. You want a standout skill from a guy that you're going to take within the top five, right? Especially in the top three. But I think something that's really interesting about his role in Gonzaga is he actually wasn't asked to do much and in a way that made it where he was able to find his rhythm within the flow of the game. I think that what ended up happening for Chet is he became a guy who simply carved out a role for himself within the flow of the offense, within the flow of the defense as just another part of their system. And I think, first of all, that shows coachability, which is huge when you talk about a guy that's at the top of the draft being willing to kind of just do the small things. I think the other thing about it too is I think it really unlocks OKC moving forward because they have a play style that they're going for, right? They want a lot of six, seven plus guys who can handle the rock, run down the floor, be athletic around the rim. We saw that with them grabbing, you know, Jalen Williams, uh, the, 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 the one from Santa Clara earlier on. They grabbed Usman Jang um, in the draft as well. Obviously, Chet, we've seen him be able to handle the ball and shoot the three a little bit. Josh Giddy, although he didn't shoot the three as great last season, we know the ball handling and facilitating is there. We know who Shea is. You know, we know what time he's on in terms of all of this. So you you see that there's kind of a, a formula they're trying to create. And Chet Holmgren is a guy who I think fits right smack dab in the middle of all of it while also being a guy who, although he can fit with it, there is real potential that he could be the head man of it all with his with the kind of skill set he has the potential to display. And then I think for Jabari Smith, I think the big thing with him is that Houston has so many mouths to feed and still a couple of other things they still need to figure out, right? Is Kevin Porter Jr. actually a point guard? Um, that's probably one of the the bigger things, I think, is going to be a big question for them. I think the 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 center position for them after moving on from Christian Wood is one too, where they have to decide, they have to figure out if they want to move forward with their lottery lottery pick from last season. I think that Jabari is going to come in and make most of his impact on the defensive end while trying to figure out what that shot creation ability everybody saw the potential for prior to the draft. Like figuring out where in spurts can he actually display that? I think with the kind of ball handling around him and stuff, that's gonna have to be a real thought. But I like your, I like the Benedict Matherin uh, sleeper pick. I think my sleeper pick, which ironically enough isn't that much of a sleeper according to Vegas, is Keegan Murray. I think that he's gonna have a lot of opportunity. Um, the dude can fill it up. He does it in a hurry. He does it with very little dribbles. He does it with little, with very little. Um, requirement he's not a guy that needs the ball in his hands for long to be able to make the most out of it and I think with DeMontis Sabonis and De'Aaron Fox and the Sacramento Kings just kind of making a little bit more sense from a roster construction standpoint they they have a chance to be pretty interesting this this season but we'll we'll probably get into that a little bit later because I actually I got a couple thoughts on them but we're gonna make a transition over to DPOY 
And defensive player of the year is always a tricky award, right? Because there's a lot of different things that get factored in, right? Uh, is your team top five in defense? Uh, you know, the, the perimeter defense thing has been a big question, Question, right? There's a couple of years where people thought maybe Ben Simmons was much more, much more val- valuable than a guy like Rudy Gobert. But then there's a lot of seasons where a Giannis Antetokounmpo or a Draymond Green or Rudy Gobert win DPOI. Last season, we had a serious outlier in the sense that Marcus Smart won DPOI. And some, including myself, you can you can share your thoughts too if you'd like to, but some, including myself, believe they might not have even been the best defensive player on his team. That's just me. But at the same time, I think it sets an interesting precedent where now we have to wonder about the impact of the guard position and being able to guard on the per- – or at least the ability to guard on the perimeter. Rim protection maybe isn't all it was chopped up to be anymore. Maybe. Maybe maybe not. But what are your thoughts on DPOY? After you share uh, your your pick, I'll share some of the odds, and we'll kind of continue the conversation from there. Yeah. I find it so ironic of how you put that about – because I know exactly what you're talking about. I'm Robert Williams. Is that is that's that's exactly where I was going mm-hmm. with one of my top candidates for this season solely because well one like you just talked about when you're talking about DPO why talking about teams that are very good defensively nobody was better in the NBA than the Boston Celtics this year defensively mm. Robert Williams had himself a season at the beginning of the year. B was hyping him up like there's no tomorrow. And was saying, oh, we got to this guy, Robert Williams. Yes, he's younger. And I was like, all right, bet. Right. Once I actually got a chance to watch the Boston Celtics play, I was like, damn, this dude is a problem in the paint. Not only that, but the dude's young, very mm. young. So it's like this dude's just getting started. Mm. Robert Williams can build off that. And he was a little banged up near the end of the year last year. So it's not even like he was healthy, which honestly probably kind of lowered his stock a little bit in the mm. award. And then Marcus Smart had a great – you know, end of the year and then ended up winning the award. Robert Williams, if he can stay healthy and build off of what he had last year, I really like his chances of possibly being a good candidate for this award. Two other ones I had in there. Giannis is an obvious one. Dude's just an absolute monster. I don't even think I need to really <laughs> get into depth there. Um, and then my last one, I think, is a very interesting one because I think this dude's just a wild card this entire season in a lot of different ways. And this is probably a whole other topic for another episode. That's AD. I think he based like, I feel like we all kind of, it's funny. AD is only one of the few players and I'll bring it up throughout this episode too, of guys who missed a massive chunk of last year Mm. and have now kind of fallen into that forgotten category ad is one of those guys i think for me where it's like if he stays healthy not only can he go get back to where he was defensively as one of the top defenders in the league but Mm. also for his own team and what the lakers need him to be but that's a discussion for another day (laughs) but i thought i'd throw ad's name into there because he definitely like i said he's he's a wild card and not just in this category as for a defensive player of the year but for his own squad and for a lot of different things, right? AD, based off of if he can stay healthy and how he plays, mm. dictates a lot within how this whole NBA season kind of goes. So he's definitely a name that I'll keep in there. There are a few other guys who were injured last season that are coming back this year that I'll throw out throughout this episode that I mm. think will dictate a lot 
of how this 2022-23 season goes. No, and I actually want to stick with this Anthony Davis conversation because I think it's a really interesting one, and I'm glad that you brought it up. Uh, just to share the defensive player of the uh, defensive player of the year odds real quick, because I actually can include him in this. Rudy Gobert leads the way at plus 400. Bam Adebayo is at plus 650. Your guy Robert Williams is right behind him at plus 700. Giannis, Draymond Green, Marcus Smart, and then right behind him, tied with Mikael Bridges, is Anthony Davis. So I think a really interesting point to be made uh, about Anthony Davis's circumstances is the need for him to be elite on the defensive end. Um, I think one of the more important things beyond just the need is the impact that he's going to have to have this season and it's in terms of its effect on the Lakers moving forward. So what I mean by that is if you look at the circumstances – of the Lakers moving forward, right? LeBron James picked up the one plus one, or I guess it was the a two-year extension um, overall for the full max. That puts him to about 2024. What's, what's very key about 2024? That's the exact same year that Anthony Davis's contract is over. The Lakers are in a very weird position because they don't have very much draft capital. I think LeBron James choosing to sign that extension actually gives them a little bit more of an understanding that he's here, at least for the immediate future, which puts a little bit more pressure on them to maybe share those two picks they've been holding on to very tightly throughout the offseason to make a trade that involves Russell Westbrook. So they're not going to have a lot of draft capital moving forward. They're a team that has seen... um, limited success before let's put it that way this is this is a team that for all the championship history they have this is a team that we've also seen hit rock bottom for real and i think that the only way that the lakers can avoid reaching that point again is for anthony davis to turn over a new leaf again we saw spurts of this in the nba bubble Obviously, there's a lot of things that come with that in terms of understanding the difference between playing in that environment and playing in the environment adjusting back. The expectations coming off a championship of being the second best player on a championship team looking to defend the title obviously has its own impact on a player's ability to, you know, continue pushing forward. I want to frame all of this in the way of of asking you this much. Could you make a a really strong argument that even with LeBron James on this team, that Anthony Davis actually is the most important player on the Lakers going into next year? Absolutely. And that's exactly why I put it in that way specifically, that he dictates a lot. Mm -hmm. Lakers go out, obviously, I think a lot of us can probably agree. Frank Vogel got scapegoated last year. Facts. So So now you're bringing in... Uh, I think it's Dar Darvinham or Darvinham, mm-hmm. right? New head coach for the Lakers comes in. So you got a new coach coming in here. We saw last year when they didn't have AD, the Lakers just looked lost, mm-hmm. right? They're like, even when AD was there, they still looked lost. But they need him to be where he was, like you said, from before. If AD can be from where he was beforehand, like you said in the bubble, that's that's a really big shift because what did the Lakers do that year? They won the championship. Right. So look at LeBron's first three seasons as a Laker. He was hurt, and he missed. Actually, I think it would be four seasons now. He missed the majority of the second half. I think it was 2018 or 19. I think it was 19. Lakers missed the playoffs altogether. Second year, 
they win the championship in the bubble. Everyone stayed healthy. I think a lot of people, you could make the argument, they got lucky with that two, three month hiatus, kept them fresh, so they were healthy, and then they were ready to go, and they end up winning the chip. Then mm. it comes the year after that. Not very good. They, they're the seven seed mm. in the Western Conference, and then they, they lose in the first round. That's LeBron's first ever first round exit against Phoenix, and then they proceed to follow that up by not even making the playoffs at all mm. after acquiring Russell Westbrook. This is a big year for this for this franchise. I think you put it up, you set it up perfectly for a franchise and what they're about, what the Los Angeles Lakers are about. It's a big season, and a lot of it does dictate. LeBron can only do so much. Facts. We know that. Thank you. LeBron, LeBron's also getting up there in age. Mm. And we've seen that. He needs his help. LeBron will do his thing. LeBron was doing his thing last year. Right. LeBron was up there in He was dropping 40. Drew's dropping 40. Drew's dropping 50 every night. And the Lakers are just not winning. Mm. Duke needs some help. You get, bring in Anthony Davis. He gets back to where he was. And then both of those dudes can do their thing. And then they get their help from the rest of their supporting cast. Mm. Now we're talking, but I, I completely agree with you. Anthony Davis, like I said, dictates a lot for his individual success and his team success. And mm. honestly, for how the Western Conference will go. Yeah. And I think I, I'm just so glad that you even brought up AD. Like, even if like, even if you consider him as a dark horse within this DPOY race, I think the mere fact that we're talking about him, I think an even greater point you made is that when guys miss half the season, boy, do we forget, right? This happened with Kevin Durant most recently and came back like a beast. And if it weren't for the big toe, again, you know, hey, maybe that Milwaukee thing goes differently. But all of that to say that there's a lot of guys that kind of fall in the fray. And I'm sure you'll list a good handful of them because mm -hmm. uh, we're not doing comeback player of the year uh, as part of these awards. But if we were, it'd be one hell of a choice. That's that's the best way to phrase it. It, it would be a pretty tough battle between all the guys that missed, you know, either significant time in terms of like half the season or guys who yep. missed the entire year. That that list. The starting five from that group probably wins a chip. Let's be real. So, I mean, that just all comes to tell you that when it comes to Anthony Davis, I think that he's not necessarily like a culture setter for the Lakers future because I don't know if he's that kind of superstar, but I think he is a tone setter for the capabilities of this year's team. I think there's been so much conversation around the LeBron James signings, the LeBron James pushing for trades, the the are they going to play Russell Westbrook? How are they going to play Russell Westbrook? The fits amongst the three of them. But I think the one guy who doesn't get talked about a lot in terms of not only his contributions to the Lakers' lack of ability to win the last two seasons, but also his impact on the Russell Westbrook fit in general, right? I think that if Russell, I feel as though if Anthony Davis was as impactful as he was in that bubble season this past year with Russell Westbrook on the defensive end, if he was as impactful as a three-point shooter as he was in the bubble the, uh, last season, I think that although the fit would still be wonky, you could make the argument at least that Anthony Davis would be the glue to kind of make it all work just by him playing well. But when you have Russell Westbrook not fitting and not playing well, LeBron James missing time, Anthony Davis missing time and not playing well, that's a recipe for disaster. If all three of your best players are going to play bad and your your supporting your supporting cast is not that great, mind you, this year's supporting cast is probably not better than last year. 
that's a recipe for disaster. I think Anthony Davis has to be a tone setter for this year. And it's funny, I think they play the Clippers on opening night. That's kind of a way to kind of come out swinging because the Clippers have had their number. If I remember correctly, seven games in a row being on the on the wrong side of that game. I think that Anthony Davis needs to needs to come out. I think he needs to come out and really prove himself. I feel like he's one of those guys that maybe we'll do this in the future. But if we had to talk about guys with the most pressure going into next season, Anthony Davis got to be somewhere in your top five, I feel like. 100%. Um, so 100%. something I want to uh, transition to real quick before we talk about MVP is this the perimeter defense versus rim defender argument real quick and the only reason why i want to have this conversation is because i feel as though the marcus smart thing sheds some new light on the direction that the nba is going so i'm saying this to to ask you this what what do you feel like in 2022-23 what do you feel like the ideal defensive player of the year has to do or what kind of capabilities do you think they need to have to be worth that? Because I'm, I think we're going to slowly transition away from the idea that just being, just being a rim hawk is not going to be enough. Just blocking a lot of shots isn't going to be enough. Having a lot of deflections isn't going to be enough. I think that DPOI is going to start to slowly transition to favoring guys who look solid on tape all across the defense as opposed to just being a deterrent in the paint. But how do you feel? I think it's a good point because I think if you had to say, like, back in the day, defensive player of the year would be exactly like you just said, mm -hmm. a rim protector. Or the guy, the typical center, six foot ten, seven foot guy, you know, blocking shots, can't get past him type thing. Mm -hmm. Now, now, this is just my personal opinion, not even just in basketball, but, like, even in football, too, and looking at, a defender to win defensive player of the year. Mm -hmm. You're looking at a guy who's a lockdown guy, mm -hmm. doesn't give up anything. He's in your face. He's the ultimate shit disturber. <laughs> That's who you're looking at when you're saying defensive player of the year. Yeah. All of those things that I just said would describe Marcus Smart to a T. Mm -hmm. Marcus Smart is that guy who will get in your face. He will annoy the living daylights out of you. And he'll do his job on defense. Mm. You won't you won't get a good shot off of him maybe eight or nine out of ten times. Mm. That I'd say is more of defensive player of the year worthy in this year. Whether you're your rim protector, you can do that, but like you said, I think there's there's more of a requirement than that, right? You gotta do more than that. Mark Smart kind of does that, and there are a lot of guys that could do that. Look at a guy like Another good box. Uh, I wanted to save the name for later, but now they're on the topic. I guess I didn't bring the name up. Kawhi, Kawhi Leonard. Mm -hmm. It's a defender that he is. He's a lockdown guy. He's in your face, right? You don't get a lot of shots off of him like that. So a guy who's like, that's kind of what I look at. I look at a guy who's a lockdown guy, and you can't get a lot of stuff on him. Mm -hmm. And he'll also be that guy. Some dudes will talk more trash than others. Marcus Martin and Kawhi Leonard are literally two complete opposites. <laughs> right. Right. But both of those things, right? Just lockdown defender type, I, I think that would be more of where you kind of look at defensive player of the year. But 
I'm curious to see what your take is on on this one. Yeah, and I mean, the reason why I asked this question is because my way too early pick is Bam Adebayo, and it's because I feel like he fits in the perfect middle between a guy who can step out on the perimeter and be able to be the lockdown defender or at least have the lockdown defender attributes that you that you were talking about while also being a guy who can be a rim deterrent. And when you talk about the Miami Heat, obviously we know they're going to lock down on the defensive end. They have a lot of guys who have that ability. Jimmy Butler, Kyle Lowry, Caleb Martin. They have guys yeah. across the board. But I would also say that their defense took a big hit losing P.J. Tucker, who's a guy who was definitely playing four and five for that team. And that's going to put a lot more pressure on Bam Adebayo on the defensive end. We already know that the Miami Heat, they have guys who can create on the offensive end. And would you like to see Bam Adebayo be a bit more aggressive offensively? Definitely. I really think that if he was a bit more aggressive, actually he showed signs of it when he was a bit more aggressive in the early stints in, the, in that series against the Boston Celtics. When he was able to impose his will, it was mainly when Robert Williams was out, but I'm saying when he was able to impose his will offensively, he's a really solid player. But I think what really defines Bam Adebayo's real role for Miami is being that, that, that you know, center fielder for them that can step out on the perimeter, guard, be a great help defender, and still be a dude to recover and block shots and be a rim, de- be, uh, be a like I said, a rim deterrent. I think the, your explanation of what you'd like to see in a DPOY is exactly the the perfect mediation of what a guy like Bam Adebayo fits in, where he's not this, you know, you know, clean the glass center, but he's not this on the wing, you know two, three guy like Marcus Smart or like a Kawhi Leonard, like you mentioned before. And that's why I, that's why I asked, because I think it's an interesting, it's an interesting topic when you talk about what does D, what does even elite defense, what do you even consider elite defense from one singular guy now? There's so many guys who, uh, there, there's so many guys who are great on-ball defenders, but not great help defenders. There's guys like Rudy Gobert, who I would argue is one of the better rim deterrents in the league, but can get played off the floor when teams go small, right? So there's all of these different things that factor into like being an elite defensive player with all these changes in styles. But I think that's a great way to be able to transfer uh, transfer, uh, over to MVP because I think this is going to be an interesting year, especially with everybody being healthy again. This is a, that was a great point you made earlier. It's like, there's going to be a lot of dudes that can make uh, a run at any of these awards just out of the fact that health is going to have a lot to do with it specifically you know mvp mip uh dpoy i mean even six man of the year i think there's a lot of different areas where just like health last year really really watered down the pool but mvp is going to be competitive as you know what Giannis has won two of the last four Nikola Jokic is a back-to-back mvp as well coming off of last season with OD, 2K level t- uh, stats across the board. Uh, just to read the odds right uh, from Vegas Insider right now, Luka Doncic and Joel Embiid are actually tied at plus 450. Giannis, obviously always going to be in the mix, right behind him at plus 500. They've got the reigning MVP at a, at a significant drop-off at plus 1,000. And then, Jay, this is something I found really interesting when I pulled this stuff up. Kevin Durant and Jason Tatum tied for fifth at plus 1,200. Thought that was kind of interesting. What are your thoughts on the MVP? Who you got as your way too early pick? Oh, man. 
this like you said but the guys coming back too it's going to make it so much more intriguing mm. but i also find that interesting that we could probably come up with maybe 10 15 different guys that could compete with this but meanwhile we're talking about a guy who's won two in a row now in nikola Jokic. so like as much as we could say like there's a lot of different guys that can win it but i feel like for the last like two three years we've been talking about Giannis, Embiid, and Jokic mm-hmm. for the last like three years. Literally, <laughs> so it's like who who's gonna actually you know try and change that? So I'm gonna bring up three names here because obviously, like I said, it's it's way too early to kind of put like a. I think this dude's gonna win MVP, but I'll give mm-hmm. you three names that I think most definitely will put their names in that conversation. Mm-hmm. Number one, dude, the top of the list, Luka Doncic. Dude just keeps getting better each and every year. Dude keeps getting in that in that top class of the elites of this league and not just him, but the other two names I'm about to bring up, I think the reason why I'm choosing these three dudes is because they're young and they're going to be the future of this league. John Morant is the second name I got on this list because he took a huge step in that direction. Mm. So I'm more curious to say, I'm more so bringing up John Morant's name not saying that I think John Morant's going to win MVP, if you know mm-hmm. what I'm saying, but I'm bringing up his name where I'm saying, if he, t- like, let you look at how how he took that step from last year to the year before that mm-hmm. was a massive step, and it showed for his team. Memphis was the second seed in the West. Memphis is a very good team. Now they are just got to figure out how to navigate the playoffs, right? Mm-hmm. They got that playoff experience. They're young, but now they have that experience. So now it's like, what can Memphis do this year to try and take that next step? Can they make that next step and get to the Western Conference Finals type thing? That as a team, can John Morant individually take that next step? And I think that next step would be put yourself in an MVP conversation because you could make an argument last year that he played that good. Mm-hmm. You could have brought up his name with MVP. Not quite, but almost there. Mm-hmm. So I'm saying if John Morant takes an even bigger leap this year, almost similar to the leap he took last year. I don't see how John Moran can't be in that conversation to win MVP. And the last name I'm going to bring up, this dude led his team to an NBA Finals, Jason Tatum. Jason Tatum, obviously, they have a really good team. Boston, they play really good together. They got a lot of guys, they all contribute. But Jason Tatum, when he's on, B and I have brought this up many times too on the island, when Jason Tatum has those games... There was that one game against Milwaukee. I think Drew dropped like 50-something. And it was just like, holy, you know what? You know <laughs> what I'm saying? It's just like this dude, when he has those moments, you're like, this dude is that good. He is that dude. Tatum, Ja, Luka, it's going to be the three dudes. I think you look five, ten years from now, they're going to end up being those guys that we talk about for the last like ten years. It's been LeBron, Kawhi, KD, Giannis, right? Been the top mm. guys. Luca, Jod, Jason Tatum could be the next five, ten years of talking about like these three dudes could be the face of the NBA. Mm. And I think I'm I'm gonna go through your your three real quick, and I'm gonna start with Ja because I think you made a great point about Ja Morant's ascension last season, and he was a guy that if you look at the NBA.com standings for the MVP race throughout the season, the dude was floating between like five and seven almost every single time they dropped an article. He was a guy that maybe he wasn't in the conversation heavily when you talk about some of the other statistical numbers that guys were putting up, but 
it's hard to argue that that dude was extremely valuable to his squad. And I would say the only thing that really hurt him, and this is not really a detriment because the Memphis Grizzlies are that good, but we've seen them be able to perform and do extremely well in his absence. And I think that was probably the only thing that hurt him when you talk about That's the definition of most, but when you talk about most valuable, obviously. But I think if you're just talking st- statistically, if you're talking about overall performance, if you're talking about the caliber of being able to be the best player in the league, I think last season, there was a lot of display from John Morant in that. Hey, man, my man DeMar DeRozan was in that same conversation early on, and we saw that that was something he was not able to sustain. Despite John Morant missing time throughout the regular season, when he was on the floor, it was impact all the time. You felt him regularly. That's the one thing with DeMar. He was definitely king of the fourth quarter for a majority of the season, but we saw that slowly start to dissipate. And not only did it affect his play, but it hurt the, it hurt the crap out of the team. And yeah, the Bulls were injured, but DeMar carried them through that. But we saw that that has, that has a statute of limitations. The next guy... You, I want to talk about is Luca. I think that, and Luca is actually my favorite to win the MVP. That's my choice, and the reason why is because I think Luca Doncic is going to have to summon his reincarnation of 2017 James Harden. Why? What do exactly do I mean by that? Well, tell me, stop me if you heard this before. MVP caliber point guard with 30 plus percent usage next to an all-star caliber center with three and D wings around him. Hmm. Okay. Let's think about 2017 James Harden. MVP caliber point guard with all-star caliber Dwight Howard. And they have three point shooters with guys like Jay Sean Tate, PJ Tucker, Eric Gordon around them as three point shooters and uh, mainly guys that are not really offensive creators, right? Guys that are meant to be able to play defense around them and be a solid supporting cast. When you look at the when you look at the design of the Dallas Mavericks now, especially after losing Jalen Brunson, their only other real ball handler is Spencer Dinwiddie. That's the only other guy that I trust with the ball to create anything for either himself or for others. I think that means that Luka Doncic is going to have to be that much better. I think him playing overseas right now is going to be huge because he came in a bit under, uh, you know, out of shape last season. The last time that Luka Doncic came in any type of good shape, we were talking about him in this same exact light of being a top MVP candidate. He actually was favored to win MVP by the Vegas odds last season before the season started. All that to say that I think when you talk about Luka Doncic's role in all of this, overall usage... And the mere fact, kind of like how Jokic was last year, where it was like, dude, the only reason this team has a pulse for the playoffs is because Jokic is absurd. I think that's exactly where the Dallas Mavericks are going to be at this upcoming season, where I think they have some solid guys, but they're going to go as far as Luka Doncic can carry them. And I think that's going to be really important when you talk about impact. And then the last guy, Jason Tatum. I shared this on multiple fronts, but for this podcast, this will be the first time I'm saying it. Last season, I my way too early prediction for MVP was Jason Tatum. That was my pick. And although he did not win MVP, had Jason Tatum completed the sweep last season, right, of taking down foe after foe, teams that had taken him out in the past, right, Brooklyn, Milwaukee, 
Miami and then capped it off with taking out Stephen Curry and the Golden State Warriors, whether he won MVP or not, he would have been able to single-handedly jump into that top five, top six conversation that people were slowly moving toward. But because of the way that the NBA Finals finished and the way that he played, I know there was injury things and he's spoken on that as well, but with the way he played and the way that the Finals ended, we kind of came to a weird crescendo where, let's be real, everybody who was kind of riding the Jason Tatum bandwagon kind of got blue balled. Let's keep it a bean. Like by the time that all kind of came to fruition, it was like, oh, dang. So, so, so where exactly are we with him then? Because you just don't know. Because once the biggest moment came, you didn't show up. So I think that Jason Tatum, there's a weird vengeance level that I think Jason Tatum might be able to come with. And I think the only interesting about interesting thing about his race is I think his supporting cast is almost too good. His supporting cast might be almost too good for him to win MVP. I think they're arguably one of the deepest teams in the league next to maybe the Clippers in terms of like one through 10. And I think that could have its own effects. But I want to ask you this before we move off MVP. And it's about Kevin Durant. Obviously, Kevin Durant, like I said, in the odds, actually tied with Jason Tatum for fifth in the MVP award race. And I have my own thoughts about Kevin Durant and the Brooklyn Nets moving forward. Now that he's actually committed to playing for the Brooklyn Nets this season. We actually have a true understanding of what this team is going to look like. What are your thoughts on Kevin Durant with the Brooklyn Nets, first off? And second of all, what are your expectations for the Brooklyn Nets now that the roster is set? Because I think for the longest, we have been so worried about where is Kyrie going to be? Where is Kevin Durant going to be? But everybody's kind of sleeping on the fact that, although I wouldn't have traded a first-round pick for it, they got Royce O'Neal to help them on the defensive end. They brought back uh, Patty Mills. They brought in TJ Warren on a one-year pick-me-up contract. Uh, They brought back Nicholas Claxton. They are getting Ben Ben Simmons to help them uh, as well. Hopefully he plays. I would assume he is. So what are your thoughts on Kevin Durant going into this season now that we know where he's going to be, or at least we have a strong assumption, unless he changes his mind again or something, and then topple that off with expectations for this team as constructed? Yeah, no, no doubt. I mean, I'm going to try and answer your question without going off on a tangent on the Brooklyn Nets. Oh, please tangent. Please tangent. We need Brooklyn Nets tangents on this podcast. Because... Like I, this whole offseason has been a joke, really. (laughs) Like I don't, I, I don't, I can't for all of that to end in Katie being like, oh, I guess I'm staying. It's like, like really, like why request the trade? Why, like I, anyways, I don't, I don't get it. I don't get any of it. But I think you, you said it perfectly in the sense that what's the expectation for Brooklyn? It's the same that it's been since Kyrie and Katie got there to get Mm. to the NBA Finals and win it. Like, you didn't just get there for no reason. You didn't, you didn't get James Harden to join you guys for nothing, mm. right? Like, you you can't tell me you have a team of KD, James Harden, and Kyrie Irving and not tell me your goal is not to win the Larry O'B trophy. Like, I don't – other than that, I don't know what you're doing. So the expectation should be the same. Now, you hit it perfectly when you said Brooklyn's always worried about, was Kyrie going to be here? Is Kyrie not going to be here? Is KD not going to be here? That is the Brooklyn Nets problem. That is the Brooklyn Nets problem. You have 
three drama queens <laughs> that are unbelievably talented basketball players, but they make everything about themselves. Mm-hmm. That's the they come off as if they're wanting to be unselfish and we want to spread the ball around and we want to win. But it's like, are you like last year wasn't, was a disaster. Mm. Like Kyrie was out every other game. KD was out every other game. Harden was there. Like he was hurt and then he was fine. And that like, just the whole thing was a disaster. And then it ends in like the worst possible way of getting swept by the Boston Celtics. You couldn't even get one game. Now, obviously, we get it. Boston was, not, was a fantastic team. They made the NBA Finals. They give the credit where they're due. They were much, much better. But you cannot possibly tell me that a team with James Harden, Kyrie Irving, and Kevin Durant can't get one game against any of these teams in the East or the West, for that matter. Come on. That's not like you can't play games here anymore. So it's like after doing all that... Brooklyn come out be the number one seed in the East mm. be the number two seed in the East like be, like you know what I'm saying do something right get to the get get to the Eastern Conference Finals I don't even think they've done that yet true so which actually yeah I take that back they haven't done that they had a second round exit against Milwaukee which was an unbelievable series till still to this day mm. and then last year he gets swept and then the the bubble year Katie and Kyrie sat out due to injuries so you look at it get to the Eastern Conference Finals, make a statement, do something that's going to divert people's attention away from your off-court issues. That's the problem with the Brooklyn Nets. They're too, like, it's just drama all the time with them. It's never about, like, them actually playing good basketball. If any of them have actually done that, since we're talking about KD, I'll give KD the benefit of the doubt. Again, I don't, Katie's not really my guy in terms of, again, the off-court stuff. I think the dude's an incredible player. Mm -hmm. I'll never disagree with anyone about that. Dude's exceptional. But I can't, like, when I look at a player or I look at a team where I look at them, where I respect them as, like, one of the best players in basketball or one of the best players of this generation, I have a hard time getting there with Katie and Kyrie because of their off-court stuff. But going back to my point, I'll give Katie the benefit of the doubt because in that Buck series, when it came down to it and Kyrie wasn't there and Harden wasn't there, KD balled the hell out. Right. He was phenomenal down the stretch against Milwaukee in that series. So he was there and he did ball out when he needed to. And KD usually does that. Mm-hmm. Can Kyrie be that second guy there? He's extremely unreliable. I don't think the dude knows how to spell reliable. <laughs> it's just not, it just doesn't help you. Like he hasn't done that since his Cleveland days. And ever since he left Cleveland, that's when the guy started to become more of a me guy than a we guy. Mm. And that's been a problem. He was not a me guy in Cleveland. You won a championship because of it. Don't be that dude anymore. So I think there's a lot more on Kyrie than maybe Katie, but Katie just made it 10 times worse mm. by this whole trade request stuff. So if Brooklyn really wants to do something this year, just do something. Mm. You have, like you said, their their roster is loaded. You have three unbelievable superstars that, when they're healthy and on the court, you can win almost every time. Mm. When you have those three healthy on the court, do something about it. Go to the Western Conference Finals. Go to the NBA Finals. I don't want to see it, but but for mm. Brooklyn's sake, for Brooklyn's sake, do something about it. Yeah, I think when you talk about needing to make some noise in the East, I'm the funny part is I feel like that's the like, the minimum requirement. It's not even just, you know, making the playoffs, obviously. Not just making the second round. I think it's got to be East Finals. And I think actually after all of the nonsense, 
I think the only way anybody's going to be quiet on them is if is if they win the championship. I honestly don't think there's any way, way that they're safe from scrutiny outside of winning the whole dang thing. And, you know, just my little brief thoughts on the whole Kevin Durant thing, too, is, I mean, when you look at the construction of the Brooklyn Nets, I actually don't even see a situation that he wanted to go to that was better than his own situation. When you look at the type of trade packages that were organized going to Phoenix, they were going to lose Mikael Bridges and Cam Johnson. That's your two best wing defenders. They're both mad young and they're both relatively under contract construct uh contract uh you know constructing. They're 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 held down pretty good. Um you look at some of the other squads that they they wanted to go to. Miami, not a great trade package. Honestly, was in a situation where they would have had to give up the very bare minimum in order to still remain really noisy. And there was a lot of trade uh situations that were involving Bam Adebayo, which would have also needed to involve Ben Simmons because they can't both be on the same team due to rookie contract extension stuff. Philadelphia sounds like a great, great situation in theory. Only if you think that Tyrese Max Maxie's the second coming of Isaiah Thomas, then maybe. But if you're not, if you're still wondering who he is um, as a, as an individual player, I don't think you can bank on that in terms of trading a guy like Kevin Durant. So you're going to have to give more. It just never seemed like there was a realistic trade package for him. And let's be real, the Rudy Gobert thing probably didn't help either when you talk about what is realistic in a trade package nowadays. You could even say that DeJounte Murray's trade to Atlanta probably skewed the whole thing. When you look about, look at what he ended up um, uh, requiring in order to get moved. Oh, yeah. I mean, look what, look what Brooklyn was asking for, KD. Like, if you think of some of those, like, drop picks, I swear I had one rumor that was, like, six first-rounders mm-hmm. or five percent. Like, okay, buddy, relax. Like, that's, you know, like, I, I for one player, I, I can't, don't understand that. And you also brought up Ben Simmons. I forgot about that. Four drama queens. But anyways, you can continue your thought there. No, I mean, I mean, and that's a great point all on its end. When you look at the construct of this team right now, I mean – Outside of the team kind of needing to be in prove-it mode because you have, you know, two top players at their position that have only hit their head on the Eastern Conference Finals, uh, uh, I mean, the Eastern Conference Semifinals, that already is kind of underwhelming in itself. But look, Kyrie, he had no suitors this offseason. He, he had to pick up his player option because nobody was looking for him, right? Kevin Durant, all-world player. Nobody was willing to mortgage their future for the 33-year-old guy. You know what I mean? Ben Simmons. People are just wondering if this man is even able to play basketball moving forward, let alone still be an elite point guard for for any team, let alone the Brooklyn Nets, right? So I think the biggest thing, too, is like you – I talked about pressure with Anthony Davis earlier. I think the Brooklyn Nets with their main three guys are all under the gun because they all have something else – something different at stake. I think Kyrie Irving has completely lost his value in the league. I mean, the dude's about to – his Nike contract's about to run out. And even they're kind of iffy on whether or not they want to re-sign the guy, right? Let alone the Brooklyn Nets being real slow to want to offer Kyrie a long-term extension. Kevin Durant has made all of this noise, and the only way you make up for that is by balling out. And Ben Simmons is a guy who, with all the drama that came with him, the only way that you can rectify your stance in the league is by going out there and hooping. You put that with the fact that also Brooklyn has a pretty solid roster around those three guys. Hey, man. 
All pride aside, I really think that the Brooklyn Nets are in a situation where, I mean, there's many teams in the league that are kind of under the gun for different reasons. But Brooklyn is probably like Brooklyn and L.A., the Lakers specifically, are probably the only two teams that have immense pressure on them due to like self-inflicted wounds. Stuff that like has been built based off internal stuff within the organization that has now created an, an external issue that now is going to be a huge, huge talking point for the entirety of the season. So I'm glad we got to kind of get into the Nets a little bit because I think their situation is going to be really important because now we actually know how to evaluate them amongst the rest of the Eastern Conference as opposed to kind of playing around with the idea of like, okay, if they're not, if they don't have Kevin Durant, then what? Um, and I think that's really important. And it's it's funny in the midst of all of this, we, you know, we didn't talk about uh, Joel Embiid in Philadelphia with James Harden at all when we were talking about MVP. But I think that, hey man, the dude's been a runner up almost way too many times. Eventually, I feel like that dude's going to bang his head on the goalpost and actually raise one of those trophies for it. I don't know if it's this year, but it'll be interesting to see what he does. We're going to go through these next couple of awards a little bit quickly, only because they're made up awards. And, you know, although... Um, I think they're interesting talking points. I think the main thing about them is it's, I think that there's a lot still looming around these in a way where I think it's a beauty in the eye of the beholder. These other awards, we kind of know who the main players are and it's kind of just a pick your fancy. But I think something like, for example, this award I'm about to share is one of those where it goes a little bit further than that and kind of just goes more into like your basketball fandom so the first award of the three is the bounce back team of the year award now the bounce back team of the year award the way i defined it is a team that not only missed the playoffs but a team that missed the play in so this doesn't necessarily have to be a team that's been like a perennial playoff team and then all of a sudden fell off or anything like that it just has to be a team that was not as successful last year and is going to significantly rise up the rankings next season. Even if that means reaching the eighth seed and cracking the playoffs in a league where now 10 teams can vie for it due to a play-in tournament, getting the eighth seed has been much more difficult in these past two seasons than ever before. So with that being the case, you can pick from either conference or you can pick a team in both conferences if you'd like to. Who is your team or teams that you'd like that you like for the bounce back team of the year? Yeah, no, I did pick two. I picked one in the East and then one in the West here. And I think before I even get to that, a prime example of this again last year, I guess, would be Cleveland. Right? Yes. Cleveland's been garbage for so long. Yes. And it was kind of ne- it was a little disappointing to see them drop off near the end of the year. I think it was kind of mm. disappointing. So hopefully this year they're able to build on that. At least they have that play in game experience now. Mm-hmm. They were young and they're a talented team, but to see them finally take that next step, really, you, you really think about it for the last like maybe 15, 16 years, they own, their only success was when LeBron James was in a Cleveland Cavalier uniform. Yeah. Anytime LeBron left for whatever, whether Miami and they left for LA, Cleveland then became nothing again and was in the gutter. Last year was really the first time we saw them actually be somewhat relevant without LeBron. So they're, mm. they're a proud example of that. And then the other thing I want to point out, my apologies, I completely forgot James Harden's on Philadelphia now. <laughs> that, that flew right over my head. Um, but anyways, to this, to this question, I'll start off in the East. I'm going to go with New York, the Knicks. I think this is a team, they went, they went from being the five seed 
in 2021 to dropping right back down to where they were before. Mm. This is a young team. They're a talented team. You're telling me that they can't get into the play-in at the bare minimum? I feel like last year they fell below their expectations. This is where we got to see, can RJ Barrett take that next step? Julius Randle kind of dropped off last year. He became that guy. And we're like, okay, Julius Randle going to be that guy. Mm. And then he didn't really look like it last year. Can he get back to where he was for this team? And then also they go all this on Jalen Brunson to kind of add to that backcourt a little bit. Mm. So the Knicks have the talent there. And I think, I don't know how much I truly expect out of them just because they're the Knicks, but they have enough talent there where I'm like, I can totally see them being able to battle in the playing tournament without a yeah. doubt. I see them being a seven seed. I can see them even being a nine seed. Like they'll be there. If they exceed expectations like they did two years ago, they could be better. But I just can't really see them being better than, you know, I, I can see five, six teams that are definitely 100% better than the New York Knicks right now. Yeah. But if we're talking bounce back teams, teams that made the playoffs last year, I'd say New York definitely was much more underwhelming than we thought they were going to be hmm. after so far two years of having Thibs as head coach. They overachieved hmm. and then they underachieved. Right. Like, where are we going to try to find that balance for the Knicks, right? So I think they're they're kind of the one team I kind of look at in the East. In the West, now I did go with a team that made the play in last year. Okay. But I was like, but I'm like, I just felt more than he, because the obvious pick would have been the Lakers. And we already went on a whole tangent about that. <laughs> right. Team with LeBron and AD and Melo and blah, blah, blah. Obviously, they're, they're expecting to be a top five team in the West when they're healthy. I'm going to go with the Los Angeles Clippers in this one. I just, people forget about Kawhi Leonard and Paul George completely. Mm-hmm. It's like, Kawhi has not had his true opportunity to really take the clip. Like, again, you you could make the argument the Clippers would have made the finals two years ago if Kawhi didn't mess up his knee in mm-hmm. the Western Conference Finals, right? Like, he was on that trajectory. The Clippers were playing that good of basketball without any due respect to the Phoenix Suns because they showed what they're made out of two years in a row now. But Kawhi Leonard has been that dude, and Paul George was banged up last year too. And think about it. This is a team that was without Kawhi Leonard when he's healthy, one of the best players in all of basketball. They were without him the entire season. Paul George was was balling for a decent part of last season. He then goes out, and they have neither of them. And yet the Los Angeles Clippers still finished above 500 and in the play-in tournament. Mm -hmm. They got one of the best coaches in the entire association in Ty Lue. I think we can all kind of agree with that one there. The fact that he was able to keep that team afloat, keep them in a play and then get it above 500 record, I expect the Clippers to be back to being a top four or five team in the West for sure. If they got a healthy Kawhi, you got a healthy Paul George. And the wild card name that I'm going to throw in here, I think we all kind of look at this as like, if, if it's a big if, John Wall. This is a name I have not, like, this name has not been relevant in like four or five years. But. That's why I put that big if in there because it's like, it is John Wall. Right. So like if he meshes well with what the Clippers do and he kind of thrives off, it doesn't need to do too much because you have Paul George and Kawhi Leonard and you have a lot of other really good players. They got Zubats, you got uh, Reggie Jackson, you got all these other dudes there. This is a good, very good Clippers team here. Uh, Terrence Mann, another one. Clippers are, are loaded there. If they're able to stay healthy, I 
fully expect them to be back and bouncing back to being one of the top teams in the West. Yeah, and the reason why I'm actually really willing to let this one slide in terms of a team being in the play-in that's a bounce-back team is because I think that the fall from grace for the Clippers was so significant that I think that they've almost flown under the radar as a contender this year. And I think they're starting to slowly pop up in conversations as we get closer and closer to training camp. But I think the reality is with all of the offseason drama that we've had, the realization, I mentioned it earlier, the realization that the Clippers are one of the deepest teams in the league and is not even close Like I said, I think the only other team that probably rivals them in terms of depth is probably Boston in terms of going 10 deep down. I think that legitimately, I've said it, I've said it in clips before. Like, I believe that they are top three level contender now for the chip. I feel like just as is looking at the landscape of the NBA, I think that they are a top three uh, contender now. Um, it's up to others to decide whether or not they feel that way. I've had conversations with people in the comment section about it. Some believe that they are, but they put the asterisk next to if healthy. A lot of people have trepidations about believing in the Clippers because obviously there's the Clipper curse, but there's also the idea that this team seems to always kind of fizzle out when they need to be at their best, right? So there's a lot of things that factor in, but I think that if you're just talking about looking at a team on paper, the Clippers have to be one of those teams that is going to start tr- gaining traction as we get closer to the year. Um, I actually picked two teams as well. We're we're in lockstep with the Knicks. And I think it's, you know, obviously it's partially because like the bottom of the East past the top 10 teams that made it last year is kind of dry in terms of actual playoff contention. I think that the Magic are an interesting one. We talked about them a little bit earlier. I have a weird belief in them, but there's a lot of things that have to go right for them to make that kind of noise, right? I think Jonathan Isaac has to come back healthy. I think Paolo has to really be a number one. I think Franz has to continue to take steps from what he did last season. I think Jalen Suggs has to really play because I think the biggest thing with him last season was due to the injuries. I really... You really didn't feel Jalen Suggs last season, despite, you know, being taken in the top five of the lottery. He was a guy who I think we didn't really get to see what made him special enough to be taken that high last season. I think the injuries had a lot to do with that. They're a team that there's a lot. I think even Wendell Carter, too. Like, I think they're a team that has enough pieces where they could be interesting, but there's a lot of ifs for them to really take that kind of stride into jumping into even just the play-in tournament, right? I have a belief that of the... The bottom four teams, Wizards, Pacers, Pistons, and Magic, I actually think that they, the Magic might actually have the best chance to make the play-in out of those four teams. That's neither here nor there. But in terms of the Knicks, they have the most roster mobility available, right? When you talk about their ability to move off of contracts, use draft picks in order to be able to go after Big Fish, obviously the Donovan Mitchell thing has been a topic of conversation for the last couple of weeks or so. They have ammo to make a move at the trade deadline that can make them much better than even what they are right now. And I would argue they have a lot of questions right now. Having Mitchell Robinson and Isaiah Hardenstein both get significantly paid this offseason, kind of weird. Having a college recruitment-esque offseason in terms of going after Jalen Brunson, who should not be your number one player on your team, kind of weird. The lack of conversation around R.J. Barrett taking another step and putting a lot more emphasis on his role on both offense and defense for the Knicks, kind of weird. 
The fact that we have not heard very much about the exploration of trading Julius Randle, despite the fact he seemed a bit disgruntled last year and Knicks fans were literally chanting for Obi Toppin, kind of weird. So the thing is, the, the common theme is that the Knicks have a ton of questions, but they also have a lot of things that could easily answer them, or at least maybe not easily, but they can at least address some of those questions like in a very like manageable way. The question just is going to be, are you going to do normal Knicks stuff and mess it up? Or are you going to actually try to address some of these things? I think the coaching flexibility of Tom Thibodeau is going to be huge this season because it's not to say he has to change his style because his style has gotten him this far. But I think that with the roster construction of this team, he is going to have to be very creative to make it work. So I think the Knicks are a really interesting team, but of the bottom five, I think obviously they're uh, one of the, the bottom four or five. They're definitely one of the more uh, interesting teams in that regard. And then for the West, like you said, man, I think the Lakers would be an easy pick. So I'm going to go with the one that I've been clamoring for all, all season. I've gotten a ton of pushback, but I've also gotten a lot of people that are kind of coming around. And it's the Sacramento Kings. I'm going to keep it real with you, bro. This team. I had a feeling you, had a feeling you were going to go there. This team is super interesting to me, man. I, I did an article on them recently, and it gave me a chance to really get in the nitty gritty of what the Kings have done this offseason. And like quietly, they have been crazy active. And now, like I said in the article, obviously, the easy thing to say is, well, they're the Kings there's no way they're going to make this work. Even if the roster looks good, it's the Kings. But again, it, that's a, that's a toughie. That's a tough, that's a, that's a real tough thing to argue against because the sample size is so significant. But if we're just going for the team at face value, and this has been my argument all, all season, you have a guy in De'Aaron Fox who has all-star caliber potential. He's been a guy who's been on the, who's going to make their first all-star team list for like two or three years now, right? You have a big man in DeMontis Sabonis, who is a top-notch facilitator along with being a big-time rebounder. That is huge because for a Sacramento Kings team that did not shoot the three ball that well last year, being able to get offensive rebounds is huge for creating other possessions, as well as defensive rebounds, because as much as the Kings were not really great on offense, being able to lock up on the defensive end, it probably hurt them just as much. You look at the roster construction based off this offseason. They grab a guy like Kevin Herter. They grab Keegan Murray in the offseason. They grab Malik Monk um, via uh, free agency as well. They grab guys who can shoot the ball and shoot it at a high clip. They Almost everybody they grab this offseason is a 35% or higher three-point shooter. You get guys like Matthew Dellavedova. Again, I mentioned Keegan Murray, who I think has significant upside on the defensive end as well, as dudes who can be tone setters. I think that with what they're doing, with what the coaches have been preaching this offseason about the emphasis on defense, I think that this team is going to take a real leap. I don't think they're going to be like top five in the West crazy, but for a team that has not made the postseason in an eon, I think that even competing for the play-in tournament is huge, but I actually think that of the bottom five teams, bottom five or six, 
it's them and the Lakers for who I think could actually take the eight seed. And I'm being and it's it's weird to put them on the same front as the Lakers, but that also should tell you how bad the Raker the Lakers roster is beyond their top three guys. So with that being the case, I want to get your thoughts on it because I haven't heard from you. Obviously, I've heard from the comment section and stuff like that about the Kings, but like what are your thoughts? Am I being delusional for believing in this godforsaken franchise, or is there actually something there that I might be on to? No, you're definitely not delusional because the Kings have a good team. Mm-hmm. And it's crazy. You went on a whole thing on on a, on the roster and you didn't even mention Davion Mitchell. Good That's point. Another one, number another one out in there too. But I I agree with you. And it's crazy. The whole Damanta Sabonis thing just ne- honestly never made sense to me mm-hmm. for Indiana's point because I'm like, the dude was the dude was on a really good trajectory for for where he was going. And then then they traded him to Sacramento, and I was like, "Huh? Like, I don't quite understand that." But then you can make the same case for Sacramento trading away Halliburton. But anyways, we are we we are we're here now. Mm. I like what you said about Darren Fox, excellent player. Sabonis drafting Keegan Murray. You got Davion Mitchell. They're young. They're talented. Like you said, they added Kevin Herter as well. You're definitely not delusional. The reason why I personally can't get there with the Kings is because exactly to what you said. They're the king. It's been 16 years of not making the playoffs. Like, at some point, something's got to give. You know? Like, at some point, it's like the drought's going to end. They'll make the playoffs. Like, I, if everything goes right, I cannot honestly see them getting a 7 or 8 seed. That's not far-fetched. Like, I don't think you're delusional. Don't think you're crazy. That, if everything goes right, this team is that good enough. Another two other names that are kind of vets now that were young at one point. Now it's kind of funny that they're vets. Quinn Cook and Harrison Barnes. Right. Two other guys you can add to that list. Kings do not have a bad roster. Just for some reason, they always have a hard time getting things to mesh and getting things to click. It's just like Sacramento just has some serious bad luck on their hands. Like someone just cursed them or something. (laughs) But they have a great team. So if they're able to put the pieces together – Without a doubt, at the bare minimum, like seven or eight seed, I think, yeah, if everything goes right. But this should be a play-in team. You know what I'm saying? At the, at the bare you. minimum, mm-hmm. this should be a play-in team. Like, it's not like when you look at the standings, it's like you're telling me they can't get in as the 10 seed. Mm. They I, they absolutely can. I don't think that's far-fetched. But like like I said, the only reason why I can't get this because it's one of those things where it's like I got to see it. To believe. believe it mm. you know what i'm saying it's like same with the knicks the knicks were god awful for how long and then they made it it's like okay they're back and then they're not back <laughs> so it's like you know what i'm saying but i do think it'll, it'll be great when sacramento does it mm. and i think this year they have a good shot to do it to yeah. get in they just gotta put the piece here and i can't remember you can refresh my memory as to who they have as their head coach now oh mike brown yeah he was the assistant for going state yeah and i think that's huge too because like i said when i talk about the coaching staff he was part he was their defensive coordinator for golden state last year now mike brown mike brown solid Mm. right like we know what he did at cleveland we know he did a goal mike brown's a solid coach so you put that with this team you can't tell me they're not going to be a playing team at the bare minimum Mm. Like, I think, so I, I definitely don't think you're crazy about that. Kings yeah. have a good team. I mean, hey, man, there's two things going for him. First off, any team coached by Luke Walton can't win enough games to be a playing <laughs> team. I'm sorry. That's just number one. I've had feelings about that for a long time that Luke Walton needed to be out of there. I've talked to Kings fans. Every single one of them agreed with me on that front. 
And then the second thing is that I think this it's I think it's a prove it year for De'Aaron Fox. I, I hate to keep stamping the you gotta prove yourself card on a bunch of these guys throughout this season, but look, they chose you over Tyrese, and Tyrese was the one who seemed the most committed to the team. They put a roster around you making trades and transactions over the last couple of months to put a viable roster around you to maximize your skill set. You've clearly been lumped in with a group of guys who people believe has all-star capabilities. Now we just got to put two and two together. And it doesn't mean that he has to make the all-star team in order to prove that. But playing winning basketball will take take them much further along the way in terms of not only proving that the Kings can be relevant in some regards again, but that De'Aaron Fox is who a lot of people say he has the potential to be. Um, so yeah, I think that I, I think there's a lot of a lot to like about the Kings, but I think the the best point that I can lean on is what you said towards the end, which is the see it to believe it thing is real because everything on paper is only that, you know. But um, we're going to move forward to the NBA League Pass Team of the Year. So this is basically, you know, very biased award in terms of who you think is going to be the most entertaining team to watch or just the team that based off their roster and everything going on with them, the team that you're probably going to be watching the closest uh, and keeping up with. Yeah, no doubt. I think I'll... I'll start with, well, actually not yet, because the same thing, I kind of listed three. One, I'm not going to get into because we already kind of talked about them at the top of the episode, and that's Memphis. Mm. Last year, they were just they were just an incredibly fun team to watch, right? Like, when you're trying to watch a team that's fun, and like you said, you made up a really great point about, when we're talking about John, the MVP thing, that Memphis was really good without him, mm. which shows a lot about the culture they got, a lot about the team they got. But we talked a lot about Memphis earlier, so I'm not going to get into it, but if we're talking teams, like entertaining teams, Memphis 100% is the top of that list. Um, now, now's my, you went in on your tangent on Orlando. Now I'm going to take my time to give them their flowers here. Because, <laughs> you know, when I look at fun, I want it. I, I'm going to be real with you, bro. Like I, I wanted to put them in the bounce back conversation. Mm. I just couldn't get there with how young they are. I'm like, now they were last last year. So they could just bump up a few, get to maybe the 11 seed or something. Mm. I think that's a plus for them. They get to the play-in tournament. Now we're talking. That's a very good step in the right direction. It's just Orlando has not had like any sort of success in so long. Mm -hmm. But they have the players there, which is why I think they kind of fit the question that you're posing here as to who's the most entertaining team. Doesn't mean they're going to be great or bad, but just fun to watch. Mm -hmm. You and I are both big college ball fans. Definitely. Right? Watch that a lot more. You look at this roster right now, and it, it's funny that we're like, but especially lately, I don't know if you've noticed the same thing where it's like, we've been following college ball for so long that we get into this parts of the NBA where you're like, damn, these were all these dudes were sick in college. Right. So I, <laughs> I like to call them, and for me, two teams specifically that I'll bring up is Orlando and Detroit. I like to call them college ball all star teams. Hey, you look yo. at their roster and you're so I'm I'm gonna rip off a few names from Orlando's roster right now and you're then it will kind of come to you and be like, damn, okay, that's that is a college ball all-star team. Mm. Paul Anthony, Mo Bamba, Paulo Bancaro, Bull Bull, Iggy from Michigan, Wendell Carter, Markel Fultz, Jonathan Isaac, Chuma Okiki, Admiral Schofield, Jalen Suggs, and the Wagner brothers, also from Michigan. 
those guys were not just scrubs on their college team. Those guys were stars on their college team. Mm-hmm. So I'm looking at it again as a fan of college ball who loved watching a handful of these dudes all on the same team. How can you not say that that's not a fun <laughs> team to watch? I'm happy. Hey, if I'm go- if I'm trying to go to a Raps game this year, I might just have to hit when Orlando's coming to town. Because For sure. One, <laughs> the ticket prices ain't going to be bad because Orlando had a horrible record. So that's a plus too. Two, I'm going to have a blast because the Magic roster, I know everybody. Everyone else in the building is like, who the hell are these guys? I'm going to be like, yo, I know Jalen Suggs was my guy at Gonzaga. Uh, Wagner was sick at Michigan. You get the rest there. Paulo Banquero, right? You know what I'm saying? Number one overall pick. Orlando's going to be a fun team to watch. Mm-hmm. Another one I'll bring up briefly, and I think you probably will agree with me with this one, is Atlanta. And I say Ooh. that because... Let's just be real here. Trey Young's one of the most entertaining players to watch in general. Just mm-hmm. him alone. You pair DeJounte Murray, who is kind of on that trajectory now as being one of the better young talents in the league, with Trey Young. I know there's a lot of question marks out there where you're looking and you're like, how's this going to work? Because Trey's so used to being the top dog in Atlanta. Murray was the top dog in San Antonio. So it's like, how are they going to mesh? But it can't help to think where it's like, this is going to be very intriguing to watch mm. two superstars play together. So I, I'm going to throw it. And then mind you, Atlanta, yeah, they were a fun team to watch during that conference final run two years ago when you got Collins, Bogdanovich, Capella, all those other dudes on there. They're a fun team. And DeAndre Hunter, they're a fun team to watch. So I think seeing Trey and DeJounte Murray, it's going to be interesting, but those are two really fun players now getting the chance to see them to play together it'll be interesting to see atlanta's a very interesting team yeah and i think the key word is interesting and i think the main thing too when you talk about just an an interesting storyline for atlanta is just the big talking point for at least the last two seasons has been the atlanta hawks offense goes to complete dog shit there's literally no other way to phrase it 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 literally goes to complete dog shit when trey young goes off the floor now having a guy in DeJounte Murray who has the capability of being a one for, you know, any given minute, um, especially in spurts where they can be have staggered minutes alongside them playing uh, next to each other and everything. It's going to be interesting to see whether or not getting a talent in DeJounte Murray actually solves that problem. You would think in theory with a guy who made the all-star team, whether it's by hook or crook is truly up to the person just you know thinking about the situation but nonetheless was a dude who did make the all-star game last year I think does have you know significant upside like you said as a young talent in this league when you look at pairing those two he addresses the defensive needs on the perimeter that Atlanta needed to address he have, he addresses the secondary ball handler needs that Atlanta needed to address and he addresses the secondary uh, ball handler outside of Trey Young when he either either when Trey Young is on the floor or when he's off. I think it'll just be interesting to see if Trey Young evolves his game into being more of an off-ball guy. Because I think no one's Steph Curry, but I think that if you can, if Trey Young can create some facsimile of what Steph Curry does off the ball in terms of creating space for himself, running off of pin downs, creating space for himself off of screens and things like that, off the ball it might open up his game in a way that we might see a Trey Young we never expected could even, you know, manifest itself because we're so used to seeing him have the ball in his hands and having such a high usage all the time. But what does that look like if he is more a part of a system 
as opposed to being the system. I think that is an interesting point to focus on too. And I mean, my interesting team outside of that is just OKC. And it's because, I mean, they got the roster of characters, right? I mean, they got the thin bros with Poku and uh, and uh, Chet. <laughs> they got the double Jalen meme going. They got Shea Gilgis-Alexander, who's, you know, a bucket on any given night. I think uh, Josh yeah. Giddy is a really great, great passer. They've got a bunch of just interesting characters. I mean, when you talk about the makeup of this roster, it's just a whole bunch, like I said earlier, it's a bunch of six, seven plus guys running around, dribbling, dunking, and flying around shooting threes. It's entertaining 2k roster building level roster and although i would say the talent is not like a 2k my team by any sense i think that the play style is going to be intriguing to watch so i think that oklahoma city between the style of play they're going for and the kind of characters they have on their team they're just going to be interesting to watch obviously a lot of people are going to be glued to the tv for the how does the chet kid do right that's going to be like most people's main reason for watching OKC. But I think OKC, even if they don't win that many more games than they did last year, I think they're going to be scrappier this year as a team that I think is just going to be a little bit more interesting where they might not just be an easy out um, this upcoming season. Even if you do beat them, I don't think that they're going to be a team that's getting walked on regularly. Because I think they're, if not this season, I think they are at least a season away from starting to turn this thing from a tankathon to really, you know, really starting to catch their stride and get into a sprint. Let's move on to the underdog award. That one is one player that nobody is talking about like that, that you think will shock the league. It can literally come from any sense. It could be a guy who's a superstar who kind of just fell off the map. It could be a role player who you think is about to have a big year. It could be a middle of the pack dude who you saw a little bit from last season and you just think there's something there. And even if he doesn't pop off, he's just somebody that you're going to be paying attention to a lot more because he could be a guy that has real potential down the line. So who's your, uh, who's your underdog for uh, this award? It, this was a tough one. Cause like you said, this could go in like any different direction. Mm-hmm. First one on my list here is a name I already brought up and underdog does not, it's it's the worst possible name to put beside this dude because he's he's a top five player in the NBA when he's healthy, and that's Kawhi Leonard. Mm. The reason why I put him in this conversation is solely because, like we talked about a few segments ago, you forget about him. Kawhi mm. kind of goes through these spurts. You look at Kawhi Leonard's career. It's kind of the story of his career, to be honest. He has an outstanding season with San Antonio, wins the right, they win the chip, and he won finals MVP. Following year or two, sits out with a knee injury, and it's like, okay, what the hell is going on with Kawhi? <laughs> Kawhi gets traded to Toronto, wins the championship, and wins finals MVP. <laughs> and he goes to LA. Things go south in his first year in the bubble. Next year, they get to the Western Conference Finals, hurts his knee, gone for the year, and now you're like, where's Kawhi? Hmm. What happens this year with the Los Angeles Clippers with Kawhi Leonard? Because hmm. he goes, I think he has this really weird pattern of. Gets to the finals, misses a year. Gets to the finals, misses a year. Now he goes to LA. Things have not gone to plan thus far. Let's see what he could do this year. So he's the first one that I'd keep an eye on. Underdog's not really the word, but in terms of how to answer your question of a player that no one's really talking about that can shock someone, of course, Kawhi hasn't played all year. You forget about what the Clippers did, like we talked about a few minutes ago. If Kawhi had stayed healthy, we could be talking about Clippers taking on the Bucks in the NBA Finals, right? Mm-hmm. You don't know what about a lot of what-ifs there. 
So there's that one. Another one is another dude that has not played in a really long time that can alter the Western Conference a lot. That's my guy, Jamal Murray. And I don't really know when he's going to come back, to be honest. Like, I don't know if he's going to be ready for October. I don't know if he's going to be ready in December. I haven't really been following when he's going to come back. But if he comes back, and mind you, there's also the caveat of Michael Porter Jr. as well, who also has not played in a minute. You put him in there, that's different. The Denver Nuggets are a completely different team. To be honest, I was ready to put them as my number one seed in the West last year until I remembered Jamal Murray's help for the whole year. And I was like, <laughs> right. It's like, okay, never mind. Let's not put him as the number one seed. Nicole Jokic is the back-to-back MVP. Jamal Murray, when he's healthy, was honestly, like people people thought about Jokic as a great player, but people were a lot more focused on Jamal Murray at that point, especially mm-hmm. near the bubble. Jamal Murray was that electric. He was that big for Denver. And Denver's a really good team when they have all their guys there. They're a team that, to be honest, if I had to like kind of switch this award on you real quick and say underdog team, how about the Denver mm. Nuggets in that category? Because that's they're always there, but they haven't been able to come over that hump because they haven't had their guys there, right? Mm. Jamal Murray, I, I mean, I can't wait. Mind you, of course, the dude is Canadian, so he's a homeboy for me. <laughs> But in general, Jamal Murray was one of the most entertaining players who was on the court. And we've, as us basketball fans, we've missed seeing him play. So That's I nice. think he's another one in there. And then to kind of end this one off, I'm going to go with it. I guess underdog fits more with this dude, and that's Evan Mobley. He had a really great rookie campaign last year. And then, of course, like I said, Cleveland kind of dropped near the end of the year. If Evan Mobley can kind of continue that this year and take another step, I think he's a name to kind of keep an eye on because he did have a really good rookie campaign. And when you look at the future for Cleveland, it's kind of him and Darius Garland kind of leading the way there for the Cavs. So Mm -hmm. Mobley did a lot of great things. I think he's a name you can put in there. But in terms of guys coming back from injury that can really shake up the Western Conference, Kawhi and Jamal Murray are up there for me. Definitely. And I like those I like those names. And I think the Jamal Murray one is a great point because I think anybody who's a Denver Nuggets fan would say that this team definitely looks significantly different when their guys are right. They made the acquisition of Bruce Brown this post uh, this offseason as well, which I think is really big for their defense. They did get KCP as well in a trade with Washington. They're a team that already kind of had offensive firepower with a guy in Nikola Jokic. But you can arguably say that they address the offensive and defensive end with external acquisitions as well as internal acquisitions. Because if they get Michael Porter Jr. and Jamal Murray back internally, that significantly opens up things on the offensive end for this team. And then for the defensive end, when you talk about a guy like Bruce Brown, who's versatile on the outside as a guy defensively who can you know, guard the one through three and then be a four, you know, offensively. And a guy like KCP, who's literally a prototypical three and D wing. Now the thing about him is he's got to hit the three at a higher clip, but he has the capability of doing that. They addressed a lot of their needs in the off season. And I think that also with the internal help that they're going to be getting, this is a team that has to be in that conversation as a real Western conference powerhouse. When we talk about where things are going to shape out, come playoff time so I completely agree with that Kawhi Leonard me and you agree 10 times out of 10 on that one as well I mean mine my underdog I have two uh and one is biased one is a little less the one that's biased is Patrick Williams for the ball for the Chicago Bulls the thing with him is I think there's there's all the hype around him taking that next step and last season he got injured but the way he started it was there, man. It was really there. And the the, the 
worst part about it was he was a guy we really needed last year. The three spot for us is the biggest hole overall because we got a lot of guys who love to fly around and everything, but we're a very undersized roster. We were running guys like Javante Green at the four and the dude six four, man. Like, you know what I mean? We we if we needed anything to tell us about ourselves when it came to our lack of size. It was going up against the Bucks in the first round. Yeah, that's a great way to find out about yourself as a small team is to go up against Giannis, yeah. Drew Holiday, and those guys who are like the definition of a big boy team nowadays in terms of their roster construction, right? So I think that Patrick Williams, they're all there's a lot of talk and a lot of hype around him um, in terms of having that breakout season. I'm hoping that this is the year because I think there was a lot to build off of last year. But I'm also a realistic Bulls fan that can say, I cannot expect DeMar DeRozan to do what he did last season. I was there when he made the shot against Washington. That does not mean I want to see him do it every day. That is too stressful on a Bulls fan's heart. I don't know if I can live through another season of that. So I'm hoping that Patrick Williams can take that step. I'm hoping that now that the franchise believes in Zach Levine and Zach Levine truly believes in them with the re-signing for the Max, that this team is now all locked in. And they were a team that was a top-level defense when they were healthy. And that was another team similar to like how Cleveland had a snowball of injuries. The Bulls were the top team in the East for a good little, little minute before all of the injuries piled up. Not to say they're going to do that again, but... I think that they're a team that has a lot of promise if everything can go right. The second guy is Cade Cunningham. This is the quietest I've ever heard in offseason for a number one overall pick. That's crazy. I think it's crazy to me. And don't get me wrong. I know he didn't finish as top two in the whole rookie of the year thing. But as a guy who had to take on a real leadership role last season for the Detroit Pistons, while also trying to work around a roster that I would argue is not really tailored to his skill set just yet, playing next to Killian Hayes, who I think is playing a little bit timid and a little bit passive. I think it's going to be a big year for him if he can kind of unlock his offensive game. But Cade Cunningham is a guy who I think took real good strides last season. Um, and because he didn't win, because he didn't win rookie of the year, it's almost kind of like, well, that Scotty Barnes being that good and Evan Mobley being that good. I don't want to downgrade those guys by any stretch. But yeah. as the number one overall pick with a chance to kind of take that next leap, there's not a bunch of buzz around Kate. And I don't know if it's just because people are a lot lower on Detroit or what, but I think that Kate Cunningham is going to really be able to jump out this year. I think getting Jaden Ivey is going to help unlock a bunch of that. They grabbed a ton of athletes. Or I shouldn't say a ton, but obviously getting Jaden Ivey as an athlete on the wing, getting Jalen Duren as an athlete under the basket. I think they're working with something where they're slowly starting to build that roster that can work with a Cade Cunningham. And I think a whole season of being that guy versus, you know, a season where they were dealing with a lot of the Jeremy Grant stuff. I think this is going to be a year where we can kind of see who Cade Cunningham is. Like I said, very quiet offseason in terms of the buzz around the former number one overall pick just a season ago. So definitely have definitely have high hopes for him. These last two that we're going to do are going to be pretty quick. And that's going to be our Western and Eastern Conference regular season champs. Now, I have to throw the disclaimer out there because people are going to wall out if they don't listen properly. So I'm going to throw the disclaimer out early. Eastern and Western Conference regular season champs means that you don't necessarily believe the team is the best team in the conference. Maybe you do. Maybe you do. But it doesn't necessarily mean they are the best team in the conference. It just means that based on their roster construction, based on what you see in their potential, 
and the kind of rise that they can make or, you know, significant things that they could do moving forward to help boost their roster that you believe that when the season ends, they will be the top seed in their respective conference. So with that, Jay, I'm going to give you the floor, share your Western and Eastern conference regular season champ. Yeah, no question. I think I already went a lot into a lot of these teams, so it won't take too much time here. But I, before I get that, I want to backtrack just to your previous thought. Mm. Um, one with Kate Cunningham, I love it. Love that pick. I completely agree with that 10 out of 10 times there. And I got the chance to watch when Detroit came here, I think, earlier this year. Mm. Got to see Kate in person. Dude's just just incredibly talented. So I mm. love that. If he takes the next step, he's going to be fun to watch. And then yeah. for the DeMar thing, you're talking to a guy from Toronto, so I sympathize with <laughs> I knew that would resonate a little bit. But yeah. Um, yes, yeah, all right. I'll start with the West. And I think it's, I have, so I picked my, my top team and then I had a few honorable mentions there as well. I mm. think it's just unfair if I did not start with the defending champion Golden State Warriors. And I say mm. that because if we're talking about guys that are constructed as a great team, last year couldn't have shown it better. And not just for the fact that they're constructed talent-wise and depth-wise, but culture-wise, Golden mm. State showed why they've been that team to win four titles out of the last whatever years, eight years, seven years, whatever it's been. They got Steph Curry one of the best players of this generation. Klay Thompson comes back. He gets back to who he was, right? Dre's doing his thing of being that typical annoying guy down low. And if they can get some of those other younger guys to come, Jordan Poole, they got a lot out of him. More than, They got a lot out of guys who couldn't really do a lot on any other team, but thrived in this system. Mm-hmm. Jordan Poole's one of them. Andrew Wiggins is another. Mm-hmm. Thrived in this culture that Steve Kerr's built in Golden State. Thrive it. The only guy who they really lost this offseason was Otto Porter to my Raptors. But Golden State goes and fills that void with Dante DiVincenzo, who I I think that's a great void to fill in. Speaking of guys that we talked about before, of you forgetting who they are because they're hurt. Dante DiVincenzo's been hurt with a knee injury, so you kind of forgot how big he was for Milwaukee down the stretch. So Golden State, they lost the key guy off the bench in Otto Porter, but then they fill it with a guy like DiVincenzo who's coming mm-hmm. from another great culture in Milwaukee. So I got to start with the Golden State Warriors. Like that's just right. They're, they're back at the top now. Now it's the same thing. You got to beat them to get back to the top. Some of the other honorable mentions here, and I don't need to get too much in here because I've already talked a lot about them. Denver, if they get a healthy Michael Porter, you get a healthy Jamal great Murray. Point. I expect high things from the Denver Nuggets. Mm. LA Clippers, same thing. We talked to you talked about how deep they are as a team, depth-wise. You get a healthy Paul George, you get a healthy Kawhi Leonard. We talked about again, they got one of the best coaches in the league in Ty Lue. I expect high things out of the LA Clippers. And then lastly, the team that was in the NBA Finals two years ago and was the number one seed in the Western Conference last year, and that's the Phoenix Suns. You want to mm. talk about a team that's constructed properly and just B uses the word surgical a lot to describe the way Phoenix plays, which I think is very on bar, which is how they play. Mm. Phoenix is just so good the way they, they play. I know there was a lot of skepticism on DeAndre Aiden and all that this offseason. They decided to bring him back. Obviously, they thought he was going to Indiana, and then they end up bringing him back. I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. They just need more out of DeAndre Aiden. Can, mm. can Phoenix get more out of him? Because, you know, Book's going to do his thing. You know, CP's going to do his thing, and Bridges and Crowder and all those other boys, you know what they're going to do. They get more out of DeAndre Ayton, Phoenix is going to be right back up there. 
Mm-hmm. So I like those teams, but again, you got to beat the Golden State Warriors to get through it. In the East, kind of the same thing. I know the Boston Celtics were the NBA Finals last year, but the Milwaukee Bucks did not have Chris Middleton. And I don't want to just let that pass because this is a team that won the chip two years ago mm-hmm. and then were without one of their best players and took the Boston Celtics to seven games in the second round. They also took the Brooklyn Nets to seven games the year before that. This one was different. They didn't have Chris Middleton. And then you can tell Giannis was tired Definitely. as hell. Definitely. Like it, it took a load on him in that series, and yet he was still grinding. Milwaukee is still my top team in the East. You got to try and beat them if they're healthy. Of course, injuries will always play back. We talked about that earlier in the episode, anyways. And then my honorable mentions: the Boston Celtics. They got better on their bench and the depth going on getting Malcolm Brogdon was a big plus for them. Mm. And then the Brooklyn Nets, like we talked about earlier as well, no need to kind of get into that. If they're healthy, Katie and Kyrie can actually get back to their on-court stuff. I don't see a reason why Brooklyn can't be another top team in the East. So those are kind of my main top teams in the East and West top teams being Milwaukee Golden State the other ones kind of honorable mentions that could be the one seed two or three depending on what happens yeah and I really like those picks and I think you have a point Golden State is a team that I think is really interesting because I think they're a team that once they get to play without the weird chip on their shoulder and they get to play a bit freer that's when they're the scariest right when the expectations are not nearly as high when they're the scary hours team, that's when they te- tend to perform the most because the questions around them are always, can they do it? And the thing is, they play with a swagger that says, we already know we can. And that's always a really interesting thing when you watch them because they show up when the moments are needed. I think the only tricky part with Golden State in particular is I do wonder whether or not they prioritize seeding. They seem like a type of team that, especially when you talk about the kind of culture that they have, I wonder if they even are gunning for that. I wonder if they even take that in consideration. And of course, not to say you lose games on purpose or different things like that, but you do wonder whether or not, you know, home court advantage throughout the entirety of the playoffs is something that's even important to them. You look at the very pathway that they went through in terms of being able to win the championship. Yes, they were a top four seed, so they did have home court advantage, but I don't necessarily know whether or not that had any real determining factor because they pretty much coasted throughout the entire postseason. We're being real. You know what I mean? I don't think they lost more than two games max in any series. And they kind of like, you know, scooted through in a significant way. And Steph Curry carried the load for them. But I do wonder whether or not, you know, that's even a priority. Um, I did something similar to you in terms of picking a main team and then picking an honorable mention team. And I'm in a bit of a hot take mode. This is definitely one of those areas The East, not so much. The team that I'm picking to take that is the Boston Celtics. I think that if there's any team in the Eastern Conference that can survive the bumps and bruises of the regular season while also being able to maintain um, significant, you know, poise um, within the within the, you know, the top three seeds of the, the, the standings throughout the entirety of the season. I think it's Boston. I think Boston definitely has the depth to be able to survive. And I think that if they don't suffer any type of, you know, significant injuries i mean this could be a team that just based off roster construction could have the best you know best record in the league next season um and then my honorable mention is actually philadelphia i think that philadelphia is playing with a significant chip on their shoulder because they're a team that now everything is catered to the big guys up front right 
I don't think Joel Embiid has had a better supporting cast overall in terms of fit around him like this roster that he has right now. I don't think that James Harden has had a better fit roster for him around him like he has right now. I think that James Harden has a lot to prove coming off of a pretty poor postseason where a lot of people were wondering, is my boy washed a little bit? Last year entering the season, I actually didn't even have James Harden as a top 10 player in the NBA before the year started. Now I have him as a guy who I think could be a dark horse MVP candidate. Dole Embiid probably pissed off about coming up second in the MVP race again. So I'm sure that that's something that's going to be motivating. And of course, health is always a factor with Joel. But I think that that's huge. I also think that that team made some real good additions with getting PJ Tucker, with being able to get a guy in DeAnthony Milton on trade uh, on draft night by trading with the Memphis Grizzlies. I think he was an underutilized asset for Memphis, and I think he's going to be able to do damage off the bench for a team in Philly. So those are the two teams that I got out the East. The West is where I got a little spicy. I'm going to keep it a bean, so you got to stick with me on this one. The team that I picked is Phoenix to, to, to have the top seed. They led the NBA far and away, and their team is pretty much the same as constructed, and they're getting Dario Sarge back, which, although that is a quiet name to most people, that is a significant name if you know anything about the way the Phoenix Suns play, and especially how things go when DeAndre Ayton's off the floor. Their center position gets very sketchy. So getting Dario Sarge back is huge. We already know they got the young wings on the outside, Devin Booker. Chris Paul at 37 Man, oh man, we're going to have to see how that whole thing goes. But I think they have enough of a, a solid roster around that where even if Chris Paul has to remain as just a facilitator, right? The, the, the dude averaged 14 points last season. He wasn't asked to do much from an offensive standpoint in terms of high volume. He was a guy who was a general for that team and a clutch point creator where down the stretch he was able to create. And the Phoenix Suns were one of the best clutch stat teams in the league last year. Um. And I think that's going to translate again because their roster is the same. There's a little bit of internal stuff going on there. But in terms of the regular season, I don't think that's going to have really any effect on them. The talent is the talent. The hot take team. And I want to get your thoughts on this real quick, especially with this being the last topic of the pod. My dark horse to get the top seed in the Western Conference is the Minnesota Timberwolves. Now hear me out. Now stick with me on this. Stick with me on this. The Utah Jazz over the last four to five seasons have been a top three to top four seed manned by Rudy Gobert primarily as a defensive hub for their squad. Mm-hmm. With, with the depth that they had, they had guys like obviously Donovan Mitchell, Mike Conley, Bogdanovich, Jordan Clarkson. They had a lot of offensive guys, but the defense was garbage outside of Rudy Gobert. And I'm probably being nice. I think most Utah fans are even willing to admit that much. I would say that Anthony Edwards is on an upward trajectory and it's not slow. He's coming today. You know what I mean? Carl Anthony Towns showed significant signs after missing all of the season prior. He is here to ball out. He is a guy that we need to get back into talking about where he ranks amongst the top centers in the NBA. He's a guy who I think sometimes gets lost in the fray because the big names are Jokic and Embiid and Anthony Davis when healthy and so on and so forth. And it starts to build this roster where all of a sudden you maybe lose Cat by the time you get to about five or six, unless you start really paying attention to what he does on the offensive end. Now, I know on the defensive end, things are tough, but that's where Rudy Gobert comes in. 
The other thing that I would say is this is the best roster Rudy Gobert has played on. And I'm just being real. When you talk about the talent aspect and the defensive capability across the roster, Rudy Gobert probably is never going to be happier to play defense than on this team where everybody around him is at least not a turnstile the way some of the Jazz players were that he was playing around, where there was a lot more pressure on Rudy Gobert as a defensive fulcrum then he's probably going to be on this Minnesota team. Is he going to be extremely important? Yes, of course. But is he going to have as much of a workload defensively as he did on those Utah Jazz teams? I don't think so. Because I think they have the defensive uh I think they have defensive capability around him on the perimeter, especially with Anthony uh, with Anthony Edwards who's committed on the defensive end, showed strides of that last season, that this team can be really good on the defensive end and having a guy behind him like Rudy only makes them better. Here's my other thing. I think they care. I think they care about the regular season. I think they care about seeding. When you look at look at a lot of the Western Conference teams, I think there's only a handful of teams when you look at the 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 framework of the the standings, especially in the, specifically in the West, that really care about seeding. I don't think Phoenix cares about seeding. I think they're just good enough to be the top seed. I think maybe Memphis cares enough as a young squad to want to get a top seed. They were the second seed last year. I don't think the Warriors care about the top seed. I don't think, honestly, I think Dallas just wants to get in. I think they know that Luka's good enough that if they get in the postseason, they'll do their damage when they get there. The Jazz, I think, are going to significantly plummet. We, we know that. I think trading Rudy Gobert is going to be a significant hit. And whenever the Donovan Mitchell thing comes next, that's that's only going to fully solidify that. The Nuggets, I think they would like a top seed. I think they have the talent to get a top seed, but I think they just want to see their team healthy come playoff time. I think they'll wish, I think they'll rather go in as the eighth seed and be healthy than be the top seed and missing their guys again. Clippers don't care about the regular season. Pelicans probably do. So when you go through the, when you really go through the Western Conference, there's a lot of championship caliber teams in there. But with those championship caliber teams comes a lot of moxie where it's really just as long as we get in, we know what we're going to do. As opposed to a team in Minnesota that showed us a lot last season, making it to the postseason and having a very competitive series with Memphis, but still has a lot to prove, bro. And I think that they're actually going to go for it during the regular season. Utah used to be a top level seed with Rudy Gobert, and I think that Minnesota's roster around Rudy this time around is better than those Utah teams. It's going out on a limb. It's definitely going out on a limb. But I, I'm I'm feeling Minnesota. I want your thoughts on that, and then we'll of course close the pot out. Yeah, no, no doubt. Like I I don't think again similar to like the Sacramento one, but like that one I think I could get more behind that one than mm. this, this one. I don't know, but I'll explain. I'll explain. I'll give my explanation why because you you made a good case though. This roster is great. You look at it, you add Rudy Gobert, that length. I mean, I think not just me, but a lot of people when the trade first came, well, one was the package. I think it's what stuck out to everybody. But then yeah. the second thing was obviously, holy smokes, the length that Minnesota is going to have on the court with Gobert and Cat. Holy smokes. Like that's, we're talking twin towers right there. Like two mm. big dudes on the court. Rudy Gobert, you know, thing I think you have definitely a lot more faith in. I him agree. I definitely agree with that. Minnesota being there, and then look, 
Rudy Gobert is one of the better defensive players in basketball, 100%. Rudy Gobert is a very good player. Like, I understand. I think, did, did was the trade absurd in terms of a package? Yes. I think that was a little too much. But the reason why I sit like, okay, so here's my whole explanation for this. Okay. When I look at Minnesota, talent-wise, I'm with you. Ridiculously good. Anthony mm. Edwards is disgusting. Dude, I completely agree. I think he's going to take that next step this year and get better. Cat, mm. when he's healthy, I think he's one of the best players in basketball. Dude's amazing at what he does. He can do so many different things with his size. Like, Cat's phenomenal what he does. And they got a lot, of, they got some other like decent pieces as well. But that's obviously their core. And you add Rudy Gobert to that, yeah, that obviously makes them better. But that series against Memphis. I don't know how many times I probably said, was it entertaining if you're a neutral basketball fan? Absolutely, it was entertaining mm. because it was literally an emotional roller coaster. <laughs> but if you put yourself as a Minnesota fan, it was an emotional roller coaster from hell. Definitely. If I'm a Timberwolves fan, I'm like, the amount of times watching that series that I thought to myself, thank you. God, I'm not a Timberwolves fan because I would be banging my head against the wall every night. How can you have a 20-plus point lead multiple times and blow it without any due respect Like to Memphis? Memphis is a great team. We gave them their flowers earlier. We mm. get it. But in that particular series, yes, it was a 2 versus 7 They were both equally inexperienced. True. You know what I'm saying? They not like Memphis came in here and was like, we have a no. They're both very talented teams. Mm. Minnesota had the many. Minnesota could have won that series if they just my biggest thing was learning how to win. Definitely. I completely the that, agree. The thing that I used throughout last season during the playoffs when I when we talked about Minnesota was Minnesota needs that guy. Like when I look at Phoenix. Phoenix was this team before Chris Paul got there. Mm. Talent-wise, amazing. They just needed to learn how to win. You add Chris Paul in there, look at how they've done. Now, mind you, they also that also had to do a lot with um, Monty coming in as head coach. Mm -hmm. He set that culture. Got to give him the credit where it's due for setting that culture there. But Chris Paul was another massive part at helping setting that culture. Minnesota needs a culture setter. They have the talent. They have that there. If they're able to do that, I can 100% get behind you right now and be like, Minnesota can be a top team in the Western Conference, no doubt, because they have the talent. Mm -hmm. They need the culture set there because the way you can't celebrate like that winning a play-in tournament. <laughs> you can't do that. You can't do like it. Was it funny? Absolutely. It was a meme for the ages, no question. And look what happened. Patrick Beverly, gone. Oh, <laughs> so, oh, so but I'm saying, and bringing it, so you're swapping it, right? Pat Bev was that veteran in there. Was he a good was he a good defender, scrappy guy? Yeah, but that wasn't the culture setter you need. He's mm. gone to bring in Gobert. Is Gobert a better culture setter than Beverly? Absolutely. But Rudy Gobert's coming from Utah. Utah has a rep a reputation mm. of not being able to win in the playoffs. Definitely. So you're bringing in a great player for talent-wise, but then you look at the situation in terms of trying to get that culture setter to win. Mm. Rudy Gobert wouldn't necessarily qualify as that guy who knows how to win because Utah was in that same boat. It's can they get over that hump, but they never could get over that hump. Yeah, so that's that's my reasoning for Minnesota, but I definitely don't think you're far off there. That's just kind of my opinion on them. 
Yeah, no, and I feel you. And I think that that's a good point because the question is going to be, I mean, the question now is people wonder, like, how is Rudy Gobert and Carl Anthony Towns going to work in the playoffs? I just think that if we're talking strictly about the regular season, I've never seen a Rudy Gobert team that wasn't solid for 82 games as long as the man was healthy. We also saw Utah go to complete dog water for the amount of time that he missed. I think he missed like uh, like a handful of games, like seven or eight games somewhere in the middle of the season. and Utah couldn't buy a dub during that time, which not only told you how much they needed him defensively, but it almost gave you more of a a scope on just his impact overall and their ability to win basketball games because just trying to play the shootout game wasn't working. But Minnesota was an underrated defense last year. Of course, they gave up some guys that fall into that 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 boat. Patrick Beverly, Jared Vanderbilt, who I liked as well. Guys like that definitely were on the way out as part of that Rudy Gobert trade. But I think Rudy Gobert, in terms of importance and overall impact, is better than any of the guys they sent out when you talk about the defensive end, while still having guys around um, that are going to be solid, uh, like like uh, Jalen McDaniels on the defensive end, like Anthony Edwards. I think they still have some guys around that are going to be able to keep that defense alive. And with that being the case, again, if we're just talking about winning regular seasons game, regular season games, I think they're going to care enough. I think they're going to be a team that's talented enough. And I think they're a team that in their own way is going to have to show at least in the regular season, how this thing works. And we've seen the twin towers thing in spurts. We've seen Anthony Davis and Boogie Cousins. We saw Jared Allen and Evan Mobley. We've seen this in little spurts. This just might be the most interesting duo overall because they both complement each other's weaknesses. Rudy Gobert is not much of an offensive threat. Carl Anthony Towns, the only thing the man knows how to do is put the ball in the basket. Carl Anthony Towns is not much of a rim defender on the defensive end, not a great defender as a paint guy. Rudy Gobert is arguably one of the best. And I think that interesting fit between those two is going to be one of those puzzle pieces that if they figure it out in the regular season for 82 games, I think they could be really good. But um, overall, I think you have a point, and they fall they fall into another category of Jalen being maybe a little too high on them just based off of seeing what they did in their offseason. But I also think there's a lot to like there. But, Jay, I really appreciated you coming on the show. Honestly, there was a few times where I definitely said that we were going to go through these a little faster, and we end up having really in-depth conversations, which is – what I want for this podcast, there's nothing I want more than to be able to have great basketball convos because I think nowadays everybody's so attracted to the, you know, the clickbait headlines and things like that of the same teams every single day, the same players every single day, while mm-hmm. not talking about anything else besides points, rebounds, assists, expectations, and failures. But I think that being able to have these kind of conversations is how we're going to be able to learn more about basketball. And in this upcoming season, with all the teams that are going to be ready and willing, with all the guys that are coming back, like we mentioned earlier in the pod, this is going to be a crazy season. So it's kind of hard not to get excited and ramble off about these squads when we know what's coming up in the 2022-23 season. So I really appreciate you coming on the pod. This is my plan or my chance for you to give you the floor so that not only can you, you know, plug your podcast and everything, but of course, share with everybody how to find you on social media as well. No question. If y'all have not checked out Baller Island as of yet, we're on Instagram and Twitter, and you can listen to us on whatever podcast platform you listen to. We're kind of in full 
football mode right now as we're gearing up for week one in September, but sooner than later, we're going to get some ball going as we get into October and get into that. So make sure to give us a follow and we definitely got to have you boys back on. Been a minute since that. We kind of slacked off in the NBA playoffs mm-hmm. a little bit. So definitely come back NBA season. We got to have you boys back on. I'm on the island. So yeah, definitely check it out. Give us a follow and, you know, we keep supporting each other. This was a blast, man. Definitely. This is a great conversation for late August. This is this was pretty <laughs> solid, pretty solid conversation for late August and talking about basketball, man. So great to be on here. Appreciate you, my guy. Yeah, definitely. So my question to you guys in the comment section is to let us know, man, how you guys feel about the awards that we handed out? Are there any other awards you like that would be really interesting to talk about throughout the season or maybe right before the season starts? What are your thoughts on some of the guys that we picked for each of the awards? Leave that in the comment section down below. We can talk about it. I know we got a little spicy towards the back end with some of the guys and some of the teams that we talked about. So I definitely want to hear you guys' responses. Of course, when it comes to Jay and the, uh, the Baller Island podcast, Definitely all of those links are going to be in the description down below. Give them a listen. He said it before, man. Training camp for the NFL is in full swing. They're not playing. They're not playing. And this year, this year looks fun. I I think that we're in for a really interesting season. There's a whole bunch of storylines in the offseason for an NFL. I know this ain't an NFL podcast. Me and Jay going to have to talk football off camera. But that's neither here nor there. I really enjoy you all for listening to this podcast. Thank you if you're still here two hours later. With all this great basketball content, we really appreciate it. And with that, until next time, peace out.